Hear God's word now. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of your slander. You may be seated. Amen. Sure. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Titus. Right. Tell who the short guy is. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the enormous privilege of having your ear and having your eyes upon us, that you always care for us, you always see us, you're always concerned for us, and that you listen to us. And Father, we, we do believe, and we pray you would help our unbelief, where we do struggle. And we pray this morning that uh, your word would have its perfect work, and its perfect way in our hearts, and in our minds, and in our lives, and that just as it is, uh, light unto our path, that by your grace, we would follow it for your glory and our own good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the last few weeks, uh, a couple weeks ago, we preached on suffering and how God uses that suffering to make us more like Jesus, to give us that stick to itness, to make that kind of character that can only be forged in the fire. And then the next week, we talked about a particular kind of suffering, the kind of suffering we receive because we desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And we are reminded the Apostle Paul said um, we would all be persecuted. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we talked about that last time. Now this week, what we're going to be dealing with is uh, the Apostle Peter's response to how we should respond to those who persecute us. In other words, what should our posture be toward those who put on, bring the heat because we bring the love, the faith, and the hope that's in Christ Jesus. So that's what we're going to be talking about um, today. And what's interesting is I asked our folks, I asked a lot of different folks online if they would have some suggestions on what, for, what I should be preaching on. I only have like about probably 20 more sermons here at, at New City before we leave for Italy. And a lot of times, and this is true with everybody, so I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just making a, 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 a common, uh, noting a common thing, and that's this. Often our questions aren't right. In other words, we ask the wrong questions. Uh, when we, the more we're in God's word, the more we say, ah, I should have been asking this question. Now, and that's what Peter does to us. We come with him. We, we want to know all the answers. When people come to us and say, why this and why that? We want to have all the answers. Well, Peter gives us a little different take on that, on how we are to respond when people challenge us. And I think uh, th that's the beauty of preaching uh, the Bible book by book in its context is we get... We're able to say when we're done, 
thus saith the Lord. It's not my opinion. It's not my axe to grind. It's not something that I just I want you to hear. But it's something that the Holy Spirit tells us in the Word of God. Make sense? Yeah. Alright, that's all I want to hear. So, in First uh, Peter 3, particularly verses 15 and 16, but we're going to see a few verses before that as well. We see that the Apostle Peter points out that God himself calls all believers to give the reason for the hope that we have when we're asked. It's one of, one of the only places, the only other place that I can think of where uh, the Bible comes right out and says be ready to give an answer is the one we read for our prelude, which was for preparing for worship, which is in Colossians 4. Um, but this is, so it's really only two passages. And what I want you to see here is that often when we read this passage, because this is the passage we go to for apologetics, for those of us uh, to defend the faith. But what we often do is we read too much into the passage and we actually see things that just aren't there. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you, you it's called eisegesis. Yeah, what a weird word. But it's, you're reading things into the text. Exegesis, boy, I'm getting all seminary on you. I don't know. Is where you pull it out of the text. You observe what the text says. Well, sometimes we do a little eisegesis here. And what we do is we read this. Be prepared to intellectually convince people. Is that what he says? No. Or so that you'll know how to make people see it the way you do. Is that what he says? Or so you'll come out looking like the best debater. Now, come on, though. We, feel, we, want, to, we want to come out, yeah, man. Woo! He ripped it. Well, I do anyway. I, I got to admit, I want to feel like, yeah. But you know what? It's just not there in the text. You, you know why not? Because it's not in our power, brothers and sisters. Just ask the believing, godly parent who's been faithful in teaching their children in the way of the Lord, the truths of the faith, patiently and lovingly, and yet their children are still unbelieving. Ask the preacher who's laid out many a cogent, clear, compelling, and passionate message, only to have it fall on deaf ears. Ask the spouse, the employee, the friend, the evangelist. You seen a pattern? On the one hand, though, when you think of that, you should say, ah, oh, what a relief. Right? We don't have the crushing weight of the responsibility of making someone else agree and submit to the truth of the gospel. <laughs> For me, it's like, ah, oh. frees me up. What's true in evangelism is also true in what we call apologetics or defending the faith. You remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6? One man plants, another man waters, but who gives the increase? God. Only God gives the increase. But see, here's the issue. And this is where I say sometimes we ask the wrong questions. I got pinched when I was studying this. The real rub is this. That the problem is that many times, even when we do get it right, and we give a reasonably good and perfectly sensible reason for the hope we have in Jesus, that doesn't stop the world from heaping all kinds of abuse on us. One way or another. In other words, we're still looked down upon, we're still excluded, we're still mocked as naive cave people, still living in the dark ages at best, and dangerous white right-wing religious fanatics who need to be squashed at worst. Yeah, I ain't lying. 
The truth is, here's the thing, no matter how appropriate our response is, no matter how eloquent, no matter how reasonable, how clear, how kind, how powerful, brothers and sisters, it's not going to remove the offense of the cross. I'm afraid that very often our desire to know apologetics is less to see Jesus glorified and our enemies come to a saving faith and it's more to remove the illegitimate shame that the world constantly tries to make us feel for believing in Jesus and the good news. What we need to see is that in this passage, we as believers are called to give a good answer to folks. The motivation is not in order to avoid suffering for Jesus' sake. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 3 actually comes in the context of, guess what? Suffering for Jesus. That's the context these words come in. Peter's concern isn't to give us techniques to help us avoid suffering for Jesus, but rather to encourage us, listen, this is really powerful, and to help us give glory to God in our suffering by presenting a clear gospel witness both in word and in deed. That's what this passage can do for us. I can't offer, uh, in expounding this passage, uh, I can't offer to make it more acceptable for you to be a believer in Jesus in an unbelieving world. That's not in my power. But here's what this wonderful passage in God's holy word can do for us if we take it to heart and we obey it by faith. It can put us in a place of faith rather than fear. That we might not only be blessed, because that's the other thing, it puts us in a position of blessing. And I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be blessed. But it also puts us in a position to bless our persecutors. That we might bear witness to our glorious king and his glorious kingdom that is coming. You can bank on it. That's what we're all waiting for. So this morning, we're just going to take a look at how to respond to those who are antagonistic to the gospel and who then ask us to give the reason for the hope that we have. So answer number one. Come on, we're going to walk through this, even though it's a little warm in here. That's all right. You know, th that like works against the preacher. But you know what? I got something that's more important than that. I got Jesus. And, and I said, Lord, keep them awake. And in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so answer number one. How do we respond? By not retaliating in kind, but rather by returning their insult with blessing. That's the first step. Now, you wouldn't think about that in apologetics, would you? But that's where Peter starts. In the context of 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16, Peter is dealing with our divine calling. You know what a divine calling is? That means God himself called you to this. So you want to highlight that. I'm not a big highlighter in my Bible, but if you are one of those types, that's where you highlight. When it says, you were called to this, I think you want to pay attention. And why were we called to this? The Apostle Peter says in context, that we may inherit a blessing. God doesn't want you hurt. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's not trying to make your life miserable. He wants you to be blessed. What's our problem? Our problem is we want it on our terms. We want to try to get it our way. And then we're shocked. It doesn't come. He tells God's people to turn from evil and to do good. That's what we just read. Because here's the issue. When unbelievers mock us and what we believe, we're tempted to return the favor. 
and verbally assault them back. Now listen, we'll, we'll even say, we'll be holier than that. We'll say true words, but the way we say them will be cutting, it'll be mean, it'll be to put them down. Like I mentioned earlier, so I come out squeaky clean and they look like a fool. Peter's saying, that's not the way of Christ, brothers and sisters. The way of Jesus is to repay them with blessing. Why? Because it's precisely what God called us to do. What did Jesus do on the cross? What did he say? You remember. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is it any shock that we're called to do the same and leave the results to God? Our calling, as we saw last week, to believe in Jesus is also a calling to suffer with him. The call to belong to Christ automatically comes with the call to suffer for Christ. Listen, here's the interesting thing. Peter says, so that we may inherit a blessing. Now, if you want to, I, when I hear I wanna, I'm going to inherit a blessing, I want to know what that blessing is to some degree, don't you? Well, here's the interesting thing. He mentions it in the text. See how important it is to look at the context and actually read and observe what the Bible says? Because this is what he does. He quotes from Psalm 34. And he says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Listen, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are attentive to their prayer. And what I usually get when we read that is what? Yawn. That's the blessing? Yeah, we're real up in here. There's no, no point in being fake. It ain't going to help you. It ain't going to help me. And let's be honest. We don't often realize what an incredible, incredible blessing and a privilege it is, listen, to have the God of all creation attentive to our prayers. Little old us. Undeserving us. Weak and speck us in the whole universe. And we have his ear. See, somebody, you know, on Facebook, you always have these stupid things that people, you know, these memes and everything. Who's the most famous person you ever met? You know, all that stupid stuff. I don't know about that, but I have the most famous, the best person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he listens to my prayers. What an incredible blessing and a privilege. And it also says, his loving and gracious eyes are upon us. Not accusing eyes. Gracious eyes. They're on the righteous. He cares. In the context, that's what it's talking about. Now, um, Corey Ten Boone writes this. You may have heard this quote from her. I think uh, she, is, she was such a, and is now, she's in the presence of Jesus. Uh, what a great sister in the Lord. But she says this. Um, she's been, she went through a lot. She went through the Nazi concentration camps. Okay? So when this woman, when you read this quote, realize this is a woman who spent time in the Nazi concentration camps. This isn't some woman who's had a, a charmed life. Charmed in a biblical sense, but not a worldly sense. So this is what she says. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. I think that's a blessing. Don't you? When we do good in the world because we want to please the one who loved us and gave himself for us on the cross, sometimes, and sometimes, not all the time, the world will punish us for it. 
But more importantly, the Lord will bless us. His eyes are on us. We have his ear. Now here's the question you have to ask yourself. If that doesn't give you a little joy, if that doesn't spark anything in your heart, well then, I've got to ask the question because I ask it of myself. Whose approval do you want? You want the world's approval? Or do you want the Lord's approval? Which one makes your heart leap? That's the question. Because Peter does say this. We love to preach the positives, but we've got to preach what the text says it's negative. What does he say? He says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter's point is, don't repay evil for evil, because then what does that make you? Evil. You know, it's the whole Luke Skywalker, don't give in to hate Luke. You know, <laughs> you'll go to the dark side. Well, that's true. You will go to the dark side. So Peter adds, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. See, here's the thing. If you do good as a general rule, you won't have to be concerned about repercussions for engaging in things that deserve punishment. Here, let me give you a real clear example. I'm sorry to use myself, but I couldn't think of another one. When, before I knew Jesus... I wasn't an outstanding citizen. Let's just say I don't know how I never got uh, uh, arrested. But I did for some reason. But in those days, if I saw lights, you know what I'm talking about? If I heard sirens, if I saw like a badge, guess where I was? You know, we're talking roadrunner. But here's the thing. If you're walking with Jesus with a clear conscience, even imperfect, but you're walking with him. Guess what? When those, now when I see those lights, I'm like, oh, somebody must need help. Right? I don't fear punishment when I see the lights, so to speak. Now here's the thing. Sometimes still, even if he says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Because sometimes the world is still going to pay you back evil for your good. Amen? And he wants you to be prepared for that. Peter's not naive so that's the context that these rare words about being prepared to give an answer to folks who ask us about the hope that we have in Christ is in it's this context it's smack dab in the middle of the apostles discussion of suffering for doing what's right specifically for paying uh, paying back evil with good Tim Keller says this I, I have this is like I've never seen this quote before, but I think he really does a good job with this. He says, listen, this is powerful. New Yorkers love what the Bible says about forgiveness and reconciliation and about caring about the poor. But they hate what it says about sex and gender and family. Now go to the Middle East and find people who love what the Bible says about sex and gender and family, but abhor the idea of forgiving people 70 times 7. And then... Tim says, I think what 1 Peter is trying to say is in every single culture, if you actually live distinctively in an engaged way, you will get persecution and you will get approval. It will always be different depending on the culture. You will attract people. You will influence people. You will be salt and light at the same time. And at the same time, you will get punched in the mouth. I love that. Very New York of him. Way to go. So that's the first second answer. Let's go to the second answer. It's not just don't repay evil for evil, but repay it with good so you inherit a blessing. Answer number two, don't give in to fear, but rather give in to Christ. This is a very short point. 
Look at the text. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. See, when suffering mistreatment from unbelievers, the temptation is to give way to fear, isn't it? Look, Peter knew about this. You all know what Peter did. Remember? Hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, no, I don't know who that is. No, wait a minute. I think I saw you with him. No, I'm telling you, I don't know who that guy is. Wait, you, you, should, you speak like Galilee, and I think... And then what? He brings curses down. I tell you, I don't know the name. Peter knows what, it, what, what it's like to fail and to give way to fear rather than faith. And we know the Lord reinstated him. The Lord strengthened him. And now Peter says from experience, don't fear them. Revere Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, the thing that you might miss just reading this, I missed it in the past, is that Peter's actually quoting from the Old Testament. I thought he was kind of making this stuff up. But look at uh, Isaiah 8, 12 to 13. The prophet says this. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you're to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. You remember what Jesus said? Don't fear them that could just take kill the body. But fear him who could take both body and soul and cast them into hell. The old Scottish paraphrase of a psalm puts it this way. Fear God, you his saints, you saints of his, and you'll have nothing else to fear. That's what Peter's saying. Just fear God, and you ain't got nothing else to fear. That's what it's meant, is meant by setting apart Christ in our hearts as Lord. And notice it's from the heart. Stand in awe of him. Submit to his lordship. From the heart, and he, notice in, the, in the, the, the Isaiah text, I love this part, and he will be a sanctuary. You know, you could be in the middle of a storm, you could be in the middle of persecution, but your eyes are fixed on who? Jesus. And you say, you know what, I'm going to fear him. I'm not going to fear my wife. I'm not going to fear my friends. I'm not going to fear my enemies. I'm not going to fear my persecutors. Jesus is on the throne. Can I get an amen? He's calling the shots. So don't pay, repay evil uh, with evil, but blessing. Don't be afraid of them. Stand in fear and in awe of Jesus. And then thirdly, be prepared to give your reason. But do it graciously. Now we're getting to the part where we have to actually prepare for a verbal defense of our hope in Christ. So here's the issue. Doing good in the name of Jesus sets up an opportunity. You ever have that in your life? You're doing good in the name of Jesus and somebody says, hey, what's going on here? There's something different about you. Bearing up under unjust persecution without fear piques their curiosity. Hey, why is this dude's either crazy, right? Or there's something going on here that I don't know about. Why isn't he afraid of the threats? And then comes the, the, the curiosity, and then comes the opportunity we've all been waiting for. Hey, what's, what's up with you? Why do you? What's the reason for this hope in Jesus that you have? I want to know. And then what you do is say, hang on one second, and you have your pastor on speed dial. Hey, pastor. No. That's not my calling. Because God gave you the opportunity. He opened up the door for you. And they're looking to you. You, at that moment, God wants to use to testify to the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the power of Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing. 
We often have visions of grandeur of how we would love the Lord to use us in a big way. Isn't that true? Don't you, like I'm dreaming of this great opportunity. And a lot of times with me, it, it involves being in front of thousands of people, right? Giving this incredible gospel message, right? And then having, you know, if you want to come forward and having the whole crowd, to me, that's yes. I'm used to Jesus. And then I walk out all, you know, nice and easy. Get in my car, you know, go up the elevator, 10 foot, whatever it is. But that's not what happens, is it? Notice the opportunity comes in difficult circumstances with the people we least desire to share the gospel with. Right? It's like, what? It's, you, we almost get the Jonah syndrome. Wait a minute, you want me to preach to them? Lord, there's a whole other world. Can I, give me another audience. Amen. Yeah. And the Lord says, nope. These are the folks that I have put you in the midst of. And these are the ones... Uh, some of which I want to save their souls and bring them to myself. And those are the golden opportunities that our gracious and glorious God and Savior opens up for us. And here's the thing. There's no escaping it. Peter calls each of us, ministers, members, those in the pulpit, those in the, I'd say pew, but we're in chairs now, but you get the idea. We must always be ready to give the reason for the hope we have in Christ. And... You know, brothers and sisters, we spend time on all kinds of things in the world. You know, you're telling me after you've been a believer 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you don't have anything to say? You've never spent any time researching what the reason is for your hope? I don't say that to make you feel bad, but I say that to say, if you haven't yet, maybe it's time to get with it. I can get an amen on this one. It's all right. You look convicting. It's okay. And at the heart of it all, let me cut to the quick for you. The reason for the hope we have, the bottom line is it's not really that complicated. It's in Jesus himself, isn't it? That's the reason I have hope. It's because of his person, his words, his works. Because Jesus died in my place, I have peace with God. Because he rose from the dead, death is not going to be the last word for me. I'm given my reason. That's the reason. Because when they put me to death and they say, you know, blah, 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 don't worry, I ain't there. I'm finally where I wanted to be my whole life in the presence of my king. Why? Because of his death. Because of his rest. And that's a hope. And a hope that no one can kill. When we, I got to say this, you know, I... I it's going to take a couple extra minutes here, but I need to point this out because I don't want to mislead you. When we give the reason for the hope we have, we point them back to, guess what? The book of God. Why do we point them back to the Bible, to the Holy Scriptures? Because the basis of our hope is in what? The first-hand eyewitness testimony of those who are actually witnesses of our Lord's life, of His words, of His miracles, of His death, and of His resurrection. Because that's how we were introduced to Jesus. He didn't come to us in a vision. We didn't see him in bodily form. Then he said, Santo. That's not how it happened. And it didn't happen that way. If it did happen that way, would you come see me at this service. We'll, we'll talk. Yeah. Give you just a couple examples of this. It'll be worth our time. Peter himself says that he was a credible 
uh, first-hand eyewitness. Second Peter 1.16, he says this, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The Apostle John says this in 1 John chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what John is saying here? Some people get offended. Like there was an early church father that says, oh, when he says we have touched him, he doesn't really mean phys physically, he means uh, figuratively. No. John touched Jesus. The real Jesus. You remember what John did? He leaned on his breast, the Bible tells us, at, at the Last Supper. And when Jesus said somebody's going to betray him, and, and remember John leaned up on him and said, who's it going to be? <laughs> who's it going to be, Lord? No, this is like he's saying, we really saw him. We really touched him. We really ate with him. We drank with him. We watched him raise people from the dead. We saw Lazarus in a tomb for four days and come out and somebody says, don't open up that tomb, it's stinking. <laughs> and Jesus said, watch this. Hebrews 2 thirds says, how, we, how will we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, now listen, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. That's where we get the confirmation. I don't know about you, but like when I listen to, I read, like sometimes I have to read, unbelieving theologians, you know, and I groan, and, and they'll contradict the apostles, and I'm like, gee, do I want to listen to the first people who actually were there and saw it, or people who lived like 2,000 years later and who are, are just, you know, going on and on about things they have no idea? I'm going with the eyewitnesses. Can I get an amen? One more real quick, so you see this isn't like a minor point. Luke chapter 1, remember that gospel? Uh, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul, companion. He went around, he was one of the few Gentiles, maybe the only Gentile writer of the whole, in the whole Bible. Interesting. But anyway, he says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of these things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, which means God lover, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. God wants you to have certainty. Now, I could point out the fact I had time this morning that the New Testament manuscripts are the most attested to of all ancient documents. No other ancient document even comes close, close to having the attestation. I could point to the truth. Some people don't like that argument. All right, then I'll point to the truth that almost all of the New Testament, the vast majority of the New Testament, is quoted by the early church fathers, some of whom lived during the apostles' time and others right after. So just go to their writings, you're going to get most of the New Testament. But ultimately, good thing we don't have to go too deep down that road. I'm not one of these, you know, that, that kind of dries up my soul studying all too, going too, too far down that road. Ultimately, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And now because of that, I might have to do something for you this week and make you my term minister.
Because I could talk about how good it is, and you're all like, yeah, yeah, right. My wife says, oh, trust me, it's really good. But until what? Until you taste it. That speaks volumes. Not, not bragging on my tiramisu or anything. <laughs> but my cousin from Italy, she did teach me. And it is but it's also true with the word of God. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. When I came to know Jesus, and I guarantee the vast majority, overwhelming vast majority of those of us here, we didn't first research the reliability of the New Testament re, uh, manuscripts before we came to faith. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit already confirmed the truth of the gospel in my heart and I came to know Jesus and I experienced the forgiveness of sins and I came in a new relationship with God through him. Then later, years later, I studied to make myself approved. In other words, what I'm saying is share with them the word of life. This is what you want to give them the hope, the reason for the hope you have? You say this, because Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Give them that. Or give them these words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And you know what Jesus said after that? Do you believe this? He said, come on. Some ways we should always be sharpening our skills to, for, in order to give the reason for our hope. But it should be a joyful, productive, lifelong endeavor. Not just for professors or for pastors, but for all of us that we might be ready to give an answer. Mary, can you grab me a tissue? Thanks so much. Now, I do want to say one last thing. The problem with keeping everything in its context is there's so much you have to say, and it's so little time, right? So, but I will uh, come to an end here in a couple of moments. Excuse me. All right. Here's the thing that Peter adds when he says, be ready to give an answer. He says what in verse 15? But do this with what? gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander here's the issue we're not to be so concerned with winning the argument that we don't care if we lose the soul you get that how we give our answer is just literally just as important as the answer we give and that's convicting to me Because here's the issue. Even if they walk away feeling like they won the argument against us or that we left some of their questions unanswered, our godly mannerism will work on them. And as Peter puts it, it'll cause them to be ashamed of their slander because they won't be able to point out anything wrong. They'll say, whatever we say about these folks, we've got to admit they put the money where their mouths is. They put their faith in practice. They didn't pay evil for evil, but they blessed when we cursed. Because if someone's heart and mind is closed to the truth of the gospel, your best answers, trust me, the best apologist that ever lived, isn't going to stop them from mocking, scorning, or twisting your answers. But according to this text, there is something that does have power. And what's that? Your godly life. Your godly response. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, 
so that those who speak maliciously against you, good believer in Christ, may be ashamed of your slander. I'm going to close with this. When I was a young believer, and I worked at a restaurant as a waiter, there's a, you know, a lot of guys gave you a lot of heat, guys and gals, and they would mock you and say all kinds of things because you were uh, attempting to live for Jesus. And this one guy was relentless. I, like, I had like this little, not a ponytail, but a little tail, instead of doing the whole, uh, what do you call the haircut with the short hair, long hair? Huh? Yeah, instead of a mullet. I didn't do a mullet. I just did like the one going down. And yeah, I don't know. We always try these unique things, you know, whatever. And it was the 80s, okay? And this one guy was like, hey, I see a little tail there. Isn't that demonic? Isn't that from the depth? Like he would always say stuff like just stupid stuff. Well, one day I'm downstairs getting ready to, uh, for the party as a waiter. And he comes up to me and he starts pacing by me back and forth. He goes, okay, how do you do it? How do you do it? And I'm like, how do you do what? He's like, come on, how do you do it? I'm like, what? You know? And he goes, how do you be born again? I mean, we're talking a long time of abuse. And then finally God cracked him. Because you know what? The people that abuse the most, that's because God, a lot of, in many cases, God is gnawing on their conscience. God is working on them. And they're protesting, protesting, protesting. But then eventually they pop. And the key is, brothers and sisters, we want to be ready. We want to be used of the Lord. Trust me, when the day comes, we're, we're in glory, we're before the Lord, we are going to be thankful for any lives that were touched. Because instead of giving in our flesh and giving people back what we think they deserve, we instead, in turn, gave them a good turn. Prayed for them. Returned blessing. And graciously gave them the words of life. Because it's, it's the gospel of God that has the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So it's behavior, but it's also word. It's word, it's life. It's life, it's word. It's a great cycle. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the times that out of frustration we fought fire with fire. And it might have gotten us off, might have got it off our chest for the moment. We felt good for a second, but then later we regretted it. And to this day, we wish we could take it back. But we thank you that you forgive even those sins. And we thank you that um, each day your mercies are new. And so we've heard the great truth of your word here in 1 Peter 3. And we pray you use it to strengthen our hearts that we might be able to give a good reason for the hope we have. Even when there are those who are pressing in hard on us. Because we love you Jesus and we fear you more than men. It's in your name we pray. Amen.